Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and here with me, as normal, is my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. I see I'm in Austin. You're back in Perth. So we're back in our home bases. We have a ton of experience and ton to talk about. So hope we're you had home. a great week. You had a, yeah, we're home. And tell us what, I, what you did in Bali and Singapore before we get going. So in Bali was extremely relaxing and you and I had a couple of conference calls while I was there, we did. which is we terrific. Did. And of course we did, we did a conference, we did Beyond Bitcoin from Bali. Bali is a fascinating area actually, because it's got quite large hubs in Bali where people, where knowledge workers, digital nomads go to work and they're keen to have them there. They ask them to leave once every six months for a period of time. So they don't start becoming taxed or, you know, domiciled there, but there's quite an infrastructure built around these digital nomads and around the world of crypto assets in Bali, which is intriguing, but I wasn't there for that reason. But then flew across to Singapore. I was asked to be on the opening panel speakers on the Hedge Week, Hedge Week digital asset conference in Singapore. And I was delighted to do that. Mark Witten, our CIO, did the same for Hedgewick's London Digital Assets Conference wow. in, in cool. June. And so so it was intriguing. The great thing about a panel is that if you've got a great moderator, we did in Kershen Lee, who's the managing director of APEC, head of APEC's you know, global governance section for AMA. And and he basically let us move forward and have conversations around what we wish to. And we had some really interesting people on the panel, a fellow called Amar Anen, who's the founder of Oroville Investment Management, had flown in from LA, literally straight by taxi to the facility. And, <laughs> and he did quite well. He looked a little shabby, <laughs> meaning, you know, it's a tiring flight, but he did quite well. Myself and a fellow called Tom James, who's the CEO, CIO, and co-founder of Tradeflow Capital. And Tradeflow Capital is a business that basically is tokenizing shipping and tokenizing wow. the, the management of containers and the payment of insurance, et cetera, et cetera. And I've got to say, I couldn't help but realize how young this industry is again, because one has to realize that the last great asset class was equities and equities was established by the Dutch for the Dutch East Indies shipping business, right? That's right. And then, of course, the other great institution is Lloyd's of London. And Lloyd's Insurance was established to ensure shipping. So the fact that Tom James was sitting on our board there talking about shipping in digital assets just made me realize that we're really at the beginning of the utilization of this space. So that was intriguing. We had an opportunity to run those parallels through a lot of the questions were really around, you know, how hedge funds are investing 
in the space where they're seeing opportunities, how they're identifying those opportunities. We had an opportunity to speak about Pathfinder, how Quant is really helping wow. us target invest and target tokens so that we can do deep dive, bottom up, top down investment review of that, which was terrific. I think the takeaways of the conference, of which there are about 120 hedge fund managers and service providers at, was that you know, companies are building at the moment in this bear market. Everyone acknowledges it's a bear market, a quiet market. Yeah. So the companies are building in this bear market. In our case, we're building Pathfinder and reaching out and connecting with people around the world. Interesting, there was discussion about the prime areas of investment, deployment and development being Asia, Dubai and Switzerland. Yet at the same time, we had speakers that stepped up and said that their fund and their development projects are leaving Singapore for Dubai due to the MAS's wow. stance on crypto investment and due to what they considered to be the lack of vision given for the future commercialization of crypto solutions, not the fact that, that they're operating in sand pits and under the Guardian <laughs> environment, but like what's going to happen when that comes out. So that was that was intriguing to, to see. They're actually talking about leaving Singapore to go to Dubai. You've been actively involved with Singapore and Project Guardian and other things, haven't you, Nitin? I have, and it's surprising to me. I think Singapore had some decent clarity. Of course, they're big on AML and counter-financing counter you know, financing of terrorism, CFT, that mm. many of the uh, global bodies are behind. So Singapore is quite big on. They have something called digital payment tokens. And they have a lot of clarity, I think, in terms of using their Payment Services Act, which we will spend some time in what's happening in Australia mm. towards the tail end. I think... I question that movement, Derek, because Singapore, very progressive jurisdiction. What they've done with Project Ubin in the past and now Project Guardian is beginning to bring in these protocols of traditional finance. So it's more technology-led drive from my vantage point that central banks are looking into saying, how can we make our markets more efficient? How can we take the decentralized finance and the protocols that represent, you know, that various asset classes represent, bring it, bring it into the traditional finance and see if the banks and the financial, what we call as market infrastructure, can take advantage of that technical infrastructure, right? So they're trying to merge the notion of transaction finality to legal finality of how things are processed in blockchain world and let the likes of DBS and UBS and join the network yes. and, and, and take advantage of the time and trust component of blockchain. Mm -hmm. So when funds decides to move, that's a whole different angle because most funds, you run one, you know it, mm -hmm. are required to adhere to a certain degree of standard in terms of due diligence, in terms of disclosures, in terms of adherence to those disclosures. And that is just hygiene. It's hygiene. Yes, it's arduous. It's expensive. But it's hygiene that's, that keeps faith in the market, that keeps the fact that Singapore and the United States, these jurisdictions are, there's some level of trust. And if they're moving to Singapore or to Dubai, I would question some of those elements to say, what is it in Dubai that you're not getting in Singapore, for instance? I can see the US being 
at this point in time, still having an anti-crypto stance and, you know, but there are still funds in the US. There are still alternative investments. There are still our registered investment advisors who are seeking. There are still private markets that are going ahead. But you have Pantera Capital, you have, you know, Pythagoras, you have many of these sort of funds who are in the US flourishing, doing well. So I can see that. And so I, I think it'll be good to double click on that to see what is the one that's the, the flight of these funds moving to Dubai. What is the primary driver? Is it the cost? Is it, you know, I think it'll be good to good to check that, Eric. But I, so the discussion was mostly around the MAS reviewing crypto oh. held by the funds. And so Got if it. you look at Portal Asset <clears throat> Management, who advises its fund manager up there, first degree global asset management, they manage our funds. Well, yeah. Portal Digital Fund is a fund of institutional grade hedge funds. Sure. It's a fund of funds. So sure. we, in fact, own shares and units in those other funds. We don't own crypto under that fund. In Radiance, we yeah. own crypto and that's yeah. out of the UK. And so the MAS is very comfortable with us as we own shares in various institutional yeah. grade funds, high-end grade funds. And some of these other groups have, have a fund that directly invests in tokens. And that's quite problematic for the MAS at this stage. And so yeah. that's what they're running into problems with. Um, so, so, I mean, the, the MAS must be very much challenged because, you know, Singapore is an extraordinary city, as I keep saying, and it's a city of amazing yeah. infrastructure and banking and financial systems. And those banking and financial systems don't operate the same way crypto does. Or another way of looking at it, Crypto doesn't operate the same way as the banks and financial <laughs> institutions do. Sure, but and you know, so like... they've got to try and cope with these differences. And sometimes the differences are beneficial and can be adopted. And I think sometimes the differences are threatening to those industries. Yeah. I, so look, there's all there's always this technology risk and counterparty risks with custodying crypto, which is some of the hallmark of what a fund is expected to do in terms of safeguarding the asset or finding a counterparty that safeguards the asset. And there are risks that we have seen again and again with the likes of Prime Trust and Fortress, which are some of the leading names in the US which have failed recently. So those risks do exist. So I can see, yes, but those are no, no different in Dubai either. Vara, Vara actually has quite high standards in terms of the collateral requirement, which is you know the ability for the funds to make its investors whole which oftentimes can be construed as inefficient deployment of capital because now you're simply keeping the capital in an account to to make up or you have to deposit a certain amount with with Vara. Mm -hmm. They also have the same standards in visibility and and supervision and supervisory requirements around custodians. So it'll be interesting to see how that... But I think we should double-click mm -hmm. on this on a different episode, Derek, where we can research this and bring it back for audiences because I think this may be an interesting episode that we can double-click on to say... Is there a regulatory arbitrage around the world, which is the better place yes. to yes. do fund that even if it may be easier for them to do business in Dubai and the cost is high, is that a wise step than to bite the bullet and do it in Singapore? For, for example, I'm just I'm just yeah. sort of voicing, voicing an opinion here. So we, we should look into that at some point. Very much the case. And disinformation, Nitin, you wouldn't believe it. There's quite a bit of it around. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I God. knew you were going to bring it up. Uh, so I think I should, we should, we should hit this yeah. head on because the yeah. first thing I woke up, I woke up at six something, saw this in my Twitter feed, Cointelegraph, which I used to write for a few years back. And I stopped mm -hmm. writing for them because they wanted me to pay them $2,000 to 
to write an article. I'm like, it's my <laughs> talent. It's my, you know, this is completely yeah. anti-Web3. You're giving me a platform. So I paused and I said, I'll, I'll self-publish it, which is what I'm doing. And and I'm not doing it for glory or anything. I'm just doing it because it's my opinion. I like to share that and solicit point of view. Mm-hmm. So Cointelegraph has this feed coming in to say SEC approves spot ETF for Bitcoin for iShares, which is a BlackRock, which is an asset manager in the US. So uh, imagine that comes out. And I had people texting me on, on WhatsApp and on Telegram, hey, is this true? I said, and uh, you the the general tendency is you go, there are these are public disclosures. So you go and look at the disclosure on various databases. There's Edgar, there's SEC databases, and there was no indication of that and generally sec would would have this you know there would be an official statement and so we're like okay well i'm not going to opine on this because i don't know if it's true because in this day and age you have to double check everything and so while all this is happening guess what's happening there was liquidation of short positions and liquidation moved for example close to 110 million dollars worth there was 72 million dollars worth of short positions that were liquidated uh, on the this is all in 30 minutes right and yeah. 30000 sort of uh, and bitcoin moved up to 30 up to 30 you know 5 5% or so to $30000 and uh, 31 million long positions were liquidated so collectively about 105 million dollars were just vanished from from the market now it all turned out to be fake news and there's a lot of sort of dissection of why and who and post mortem of these analysis and this also reminded me that the community itself began to question some of these things because these things generally don't happen on Monday morning at like 8 a.m. because SEC people still want to have their coffee and they're not approving stuff at 8, 8 9 a.m. in the morning. And, and, and also, Nidin, like, I get the sense that the SEC would grumble about this release. And having been a public company director for many years, <laughs> releases you don't want to release, you tend to release on Friday afternoon at about three o'clock. I can imagine the SEC releasing this Friday at three o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and you have all these nonsense flying around and I, and this doesn't help at all. It doesn't help Ooh, crypto at no. all. Ooh. And of course, as Coin, you know, Cointelegraph, you know, first removed the, 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 the tweet and had an apology. What hurts the most is, I don't think we need more of this because while this doesn't happen in crypto, it also happens in traditional markets. Ooh, but crypto is under, under the microscope at the moment and you don't want to give any more reason. And ironically, this is about ETF. So this whole market manipulation being the primary reason why spot ETFs are not being approved, a case in point. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, well, how do you control this? Like, you know, and and whoever had to make money made money. The first 30, 30 minutes, literally in 15, 30 minutes, the 65 million dollars were liquidated. Crazy, crazy number. It is extraordinary. But, you know, but having been in, in public companies, as I said, for that for the 19 years, disinformation is really common. The difference is that the public companies that I was involved with, you know, were sort of capitalized at 150, 200 million dollars. They're small by comparison. And so we would constantly read things in things like hot copper which is kind of a gossipy environment where people would release information and it was all inside information etc and we would read it going well that's interesting because it doesn't exist it's not correct or that's an interesting bit of inside information how do they know that it was it was it was fascinating what could get out and what was publicized and so therefore it was quite common that disinformation was out there for public companies extremely common the difference with Bitcoin is that it's a singularity. It's one thing. 
and it's large sure. and everyone's focusing on it. So disinformation becomes exaggerated to enormous levels. So, so it's not unusual that such a thing occurs and the fact that it's gone up and been taken down. What tends to happen in an exchange like the Australian Securities Exchange is that such a bit of nonsense could be released by someone and everyone would go straight to the ASX to that section and read about it. And if it's not there, it's not there. So it's finished fairly quickly. That's yeah. the difference here. What you did is what many people couldn't do. And that is they'd work out what the major authorities are they need to go and check against. Whereas here in Australia on the Correct. Securities Commission, there's one authority. And so I think it's not unusual that disinformation occurs. It's just that it's a singularity and it's, it's heavily yeah. capitalized and it makes a big impact. But there are some influential people in the group that I, you know, whether it's Twitter, crypto Twitter or Telegram, they confirmed that with BlackRock at the time and BlackRock came back and said, this is not true. But to me, it was, you know, for, till like noon. And then to top it up, there was a conference in Dubai. And yeah. I just don't know how these things work. I mean, I just think that either they're not hiring the right talent or they just have completely oblivious to what's happening around the world. And they're the editor-in-chief speaking to one of the, you know, one of the social media sort of personalities, Mari and Ophel. And she said, you know, hey, it's, she blamed social media for it. She blamed people consuming the information. And she said, you know, in this day and age, it's not about who's right, who comes first. And I'm like, that is not true at all. Like we do care for truth. And while people are pinging me, asking me, of course, I, I don't dish out financial advice. I don't confirm things I don't know. But I would, I, I told people, I said, I'm not sure. And I'm not going to opine on this because I just don't know what the answer is till I get, until we heard from BlackRock, somebody in BlackRock said, hey, this is not mm. true. And then we paused and we all began to ask sources and no one could confirm the sources. So I said, okay, I'm going to hold off on this. Any, and this wasn't material information for me. I'm not involved yeah. in any of the, any any positions around Bitcoin per se, but I just thought that was the, that was hurtful. That brings me to the point, Derek, and that led me to opine and think. So I'd spent like an hour and a half, I went for a run, to think about what the hell is going on? And I don't like it, what's going on. So I opened yeah. up Block, Blockworks, the general social media, or so general news media channels that we consume information from, Coindesk yeah. being the primary one, which is known, yeah. and our friend Michael Casey, you know, he's driving that and certainly upholds to a higher standard. Yeah. And I look at that stuff, and here's what I read. Uh, SBF trial, which I don't want to cover. I don't have the time or patience to spend any an ounce Ooh. of my energy on Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, SEC and BTC ETF saga is constant bickering about which one is going to come first. ARK is saying these things. Uh, the BTC fake news fiasco, which was there. The Binance yet again with another regulator, another jurisdiction. Some US senator and some for and some against and related market commentaries around comments they made not interesting anymore. And some more regulatory actions, you know, be it new rules or new proposals around new tax rules and California passes own bit license law and everything else. And I'm thinking, yes. you know, I miss the days, Derek, when we used to discuss how a single innovation, say a lightning or layer two will scale and bring more populace to a crypto ecosystem. I miss the days when we would talk about projects that provided new innovation to gain control on their own IP, be it data or created content and, and ways to market that and monetize it. I miss the days <laughs> when I would have global reach and stories that were reassuring on the intended objectives of crypto economic inclusion, 
providing an avenue for these that are the fringes of our and the outer edge of our economic system to be included because the technology lets them do it. It's all seemed to look like we are spending so much time on legal frameworks and regulatory frameworks. And it's, I don't like it. I, I want to go back to the old days so I can still have the hope. And somehow those news, I'm sure there's innovation happening. As you mentioned, this bear market people are building. I miss those days, Tarek. And talking about regulation, you live in Australia, but I'll pause here. Love to get your thoughts, Derek. That I, the news so I miss is dominated. Those days too. You know, it's yeah. it's so exciting to be able to stand in front of a group of people and 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 throw ideas around about what future payment systems might exist, what future democratization yeah. of assets might exist, how artificial intelligence could be trading between each other, and they could be trading computational power versus versus data storage as some sort of a some sort of a platform of currency you know to think that that you know automated vehicles could be dealing and trading between each other and doing that on microtransactions on on blockchains these sort of things excited me i i the, the constant story about the the woman in india in a village with 100 dollars worth of of a building in the us <laughs> returning her eight percent per annum and she holds that in a wallet and no one's interfering with her these these hopes and aspirations have always what drove this industry and what drives the industry you know even down to the point of course where where we've seen the industry evolve from bitcoin to ethereum and smart contracts to the 2017 boom of the icos generated by ethereum and smart contracts hopes and aspirations ignorant exuberance but still some great ideas that came out <laughs> yeah. of it DeFi came out of that and then decentralized finance came out of it and then we saw gaming and play to earn gaming came out of it and you, these are kind of when you look at them in the rear vision mirror that the sequence makes sense then we saw, of course, metaverse come out of gaming, you know, and yeah. this, and then now we're seeing Web 3.0, and we're seeing the you know conflagration of metaverse and gaming, etc. Occurring now, these are all journeys that still happen, but we've lost focus on a lot of that. Yeah. As you say, yeah. we babble on about bloody regulation. Excuse me, but I'm an Australian. I'm allowed to say that word, and <laughs> because that's the way it's guiding. And the, the sad outcome of that is that. We've lost the narrative. We had the yeah. narrative of great opportunities, extraordinary technology, democratization of assets worldwide, the disengagement of rent takers where they're not necessary through this process. Uh, and that was, that was our narrative. Now the narrative is with the regulators and the institutions and, and their narrative is, is you know, things like illicit transactions you know, money laundering and drug trading. And that's just simply not true. In fact, in fact, that's true. Yeah. it's just not true. In fact, at a, at a talk I gave after the hedge fund weekly date, I had a dinner talk that I gave. And one of the first things I wanted to say is that, is that people talk about this being an industry where drugs and illicit transactions occurred. They're still reminiscing of the days of of silk road etc cetera, etc cetera. and if you look at the amount of crime that's transaction illicit transactions that occur online and this is all blockchains so therefore everything's operating on an accounting system and you're monitoring it as opposed to us dollar cash right you're monitoring it yeah. and so so chain analysis have been showing the continued reduction in percentage turnover of of what's just defined as illicit transactions. And here it is, 
0.24% of transactions on blockchain Amazing. are considered illicit, 0.24%. So we bring that to comparison. It's a drop in a bucket. It's a drop in a bucket. It's actually $20 billion of transactions. My God, that's a lot. I don't have $20 billion. It's huge, right? So to give you an idea, in Namibia alone, in 12 months, there's $25 billion worth of mis-invoicing in Namibia oh alone, God. right? So in one little African country, country, the corruption level is greater than all of crypto. So to put that and in- we haven't even talked about the US yet. If you add the US corruption and the, the, the money laundry that happens with the US dollar, the cash itself, it can it can equate to GDP of several countries at times, Absolutely. I would think. Yeah. And so, so the biggest use of illicit transactions we've said as always is US dollar notes. But it's interesting to note that Munich Security Conference in 2021, and I wanted to research this because I keep getting this question, why is it always used for illicit drugs and transaction? So the estimated flows of illicit transactions on global community, the, the OEC estimates that 2.5% of all trades worldwide are illicit. As a percentage, that's 10 times more than crypto. But as a dollar value, that's about $2.2 trillion annually is, is purely illicit transactions. So crypto, 0.24%, $20 billion is just nothing. It's a yeah. tiny percentage. And, and, and look, it's it's the age-old adagian comparisons that who do you blame? Uh, Apple makes iPhones. You can use the iPhone for good things, yes. And bad things, yes. You don't hold the... So I don't think we should blame technology for it. I, I also think that the entire debate that has been had is I would argue that technology is there. You simply have like what chain analysis is doing to give the information to the government. Government can do it themselves in real time. You don't need an intermediary to do this. Technology is there for you to track and trace the movement. That's what blockchains do really well. And we don't even need to translate or transfer, you know, uh, I would say translate the wallets into a into an object that identifies humans. We can do all kinds of technologies that I actually was working on as at IBM is to triangulate IP and zero in on the neighborhoods and the IP registration, which is in every country required when you, you get internet connection. So you can do all these different things to find who's really behind this. They do that today for most internet transact internet tra traffic. So yeah. to me, I think this whole thing of after the fact conversation is, yeah, you may not be able to stop it, but you certainly have real-time visibility into what's happening, which cannot be said about the current financial system. So you're absolutely right, Derek. I think it's, it's the narrative, but, but I think that things like what happened today with fake news, things like some of these narratives that we see, it's really don't bode well for where the industry needs to head and, and need to be adopted. But on the bright side, the fact that Australia is looking yes. at this regulation around digital asset platforms is a positive sign. They're trying okay. to legitimize these things by giving you a framework so we can at least let the technology flourish and not stymie the development before it grows to a certain extent. And I think that to me is positive in general. So tell us a Fair. bit more about what's happening in Australia, because this paper's released, I saw it this morning, I read it, I read the whole thing, it was quite extensive, and comprehensive. Love to get your perspective as a resident, and as a citizen of Australia, how do you see this? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm quite, I'm very pleased that 
Australia has taken a positive stance on it. You might remember, it was a few weeks ago, I wrote a paper that was yeah, read on the floor of the Senate. Yeah. And, and that paper essentially said that the following things need to have regulatory focused. Number one was exchanges. Number two was custodians. And, and number, number three was coin, creation of a stable coin. And number four was reviewing central bank digital currencies. So those are the four things that I, I felt needed to be reviewed. And lo and behold, not long after, surely not because of my paper, but not long after, <laughs> out comes a regulate, regulating digital asset platform proposal paper. And so the focus is on the exchanges and regulating the exchanges. And from my reading of the paper, it's quite a positive proposal to yeah, regulate the exchanges. So what are your thoughts, Nitin? No, I think so too. I think some of the objectives were clearly stated. This is the first, after all, the, the initial paper said the objectives are protect consumers, promoting innovation through technology and neutrality, which means they're not citing one way or the other. And looking into aligning your digital asset regulatory framework with the international jurisdiction. So you have you have clear stated goals to say, mm. this is what we're trying to do here. And we want comments. So we're not going unilaterally going ahead with this. We want comment. And basically the way I read it, Derek, they were trying to achieve two things. They were trying to figure out the regulating, you know, regulating the digital asset intermediaries, which is what you meant that the, the, the people like custodians, digital asset facilities, the scope, the structure, the focus, like how do we, deal with these entities? Do we treat them like existing assets of the world and existing Westpacs of the world, which is, you know, the leading bank of Australia or ANZ, for instance? Second thing was licensing digital asset intermediaries. How do we license them? Do we use the same licensing framework we have now or do we create new ones because now the newer ones, um, which I thought was quite positive that it's targeting identified consumer harms, like what has harmed and which just comes mm -hmm. from the past. Mm -hmm. And it's also supporting innovation with use of digital asset and emerging technologies. That to me, as you rightly pointed out, Derek, is very positive. And I, I would think that having worked with this for so long, maybe your paper influenced that this, that mm -hmm. language. Yeah, because there was you're, some... <laughs> you're very kind. It, it certainly didn't do any harm anyway. So the, the point is yeah. that, that you know, it was clear that those things needed to be reviewed. And the great thing yeah. is now the, the government has come out with a paper saying they propose to review it. So I guess I'll have a look at that and see whether, you know, I, I put in a paper to them and, and add some thoughts and see whether there's something yeah. I can contribute to where Australia's direction's going. Nitin, often we get this this question i get this question and and the question's normally driven by a group that's looking at this using traditional lenses to try and work out well i'm just trying to fathom this i'm just trying to work out you know is crypto real and does it really have a use case i get that question so many times so i thought maybe to to end our discussion today let's let's just talk around that you know does crypto have a use case now I can answer yes and no, but I want your answer on this. Yeah, and I actually, ironically or incidentally, Derek, I I spent like an hour today just thinking about where are we heading? Why mm. did I get into this space? And it's been 12 years or 13 years for me since mm. early days of, of Bitcoin. And I have seen with all my travels, and you know, I've traveled extensively to study Bitcoin and yes. study like 90 plus different countries to see the effect and the, the you know, and of course the industry has come a long way, some in the right direction, some in the wrong direction. I still believe in it in the sense that 
I think the Bitcoin and Ethereum, which from an investment perspective becomes important structural assets for our industry from investment standpoint. But if I were to extract the utility and apply them to the reason why I got into it, which is, you know, seldom as a technologist, you get to work with technologies that has the potential to change the world. Of course, during internet, I was in college, so I missed that boat, even though I used internet extensively and build e-commerce system on top. Uh, but I think that what what the infrastructure that Bitcoin Ethereum networks present, the potentiality of the use of the asset and ability for them people to be able to, you know, address the underbanked and unbanked and bring them back into their ability to access their assets, barring the technical challenges, that potential is there. I think we've been focused on the wrong things. I still have faith in it. I still believe that again, the 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 two benchmark assets and the technology and the ethos and the ecosystem they represent has a lot of power to do good. And if we're not focused on economic inclusion and in, in ability for us to reach to the fringes or the, the folks who are on the fringes of our society and are devoid of access to the economic system, then we have created another asset class for the rich. And I'm not saying making money is bad. We all do that. I just think that it has to also do good uh, for for the humanity elements. And I'm, that's my focus has always been that. And I think 2024, I'm going to spend some time in traveling to, you know, if you remember last time we spoke about El Salvador and spoke to, spoke about some communities in South Africa and actually go to some of these areas where a lot of technology is being developed to use transfer Bitcoin through SMS. I want to experience that. I want to go spend some time mm-hmm. in understanding that. So that's my goal for next year to not only reassure myself, Derek, but all these events that we see with Binance and and and, and FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried and, and the ETFs, I don't think Bitcoin spot ETFs are going to solve the problem of the the folks in in, in you know El Salvador or some other parts of the world, including India and Uganda and all the examples that we've been giving. Yes. So it's not exciting to me. It's it's there. I work in the financial services industry. I find it attractive. I find it interesting that you have an exposure and that is needed. You can't do good if you're not rich. I get that. But we still have to not lose the sight of why we got into it. So yeah. that's my take on this. I still have hope. I'm hoping all this cloudy judgment that we've been applying to the industry moves away and we see a bright sky at some point and the entrepreneurs and the founders go back to the work that we started 13 years back, 14 years back. Look, I think there's two things. There's the conversation, there's what's happening. And so the conversation has shifted from what was our hope of global democratization of assets over a period of time. It shifted from from this disproportionate use of US dollars and transacting through the US dollar bank. And and I'm, 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 as you know, I'm not a libertarian. I just, it's obvious that if one country has 80% of all the transactions going through its bank, it's kind of disproportionately inappropriate. So the conversation, you know, should should it has shifted from the concept of being able to do business in an immersive environment such as a metaverse without having to jump on a plane and fly 12 hours to a board meeting in New York City. You know, the conversation shifted from from people yeah. being enslaved and having to go in and out of an office to you know, digital nomads that are the developing extraordinary technology around the world. All of that still exists. All of that's yeah. still happening. This yeah. is a bear market. It's all getting built in right now. So all it is, is the conversation has shifted. 
not what we're yeah. doing. It's still getting done on a constant basis. And that hope of democratizing assets progressively and that hope of providing some fair, equitable outcome uh, for the capable and the educated and the numeric worldwide yeah. is is still in place. And and I don't I, I don't think we've lost that one bit. All we've lost is we've lost focus because there's a lot of noise from the major institutions that are trying to determine how they fight, assimilate, or aggregate this technology. So I agree, and I, I seldom disagree with you, Derek. But I again, once again, agree with that assessment, and I think you're right. There's a lot of building going on, and hopefully, it'll surface in the bull market that we get back into the whole thing. But to your point, we shouldn't lose sight, as you as you rightly pointed out. And I think even this podcast should hopefully reaches a few, and we are able to communicate that message as well. So I see yeah. we play a very small role in 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 putting the trains back on the track. I hope. You know, I, it makes me think about Roger Kipling's poem, If. I love Roger Kipling's poem, If. And the yeah. very first line of it says, if you can keep your head when all about are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too, if you wait and not be tired of waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet look too good or talk too wise. And as you know, at the end of it, it says, and, and, and you'll be a man, my son. And, and it makes me think wow. about this industry because it is a matter of having wisdom. It's a matter of knowing there's a vision. It's a matter of knowing that there was going to come a time when it went from not being listened to, to being laughed at, to being attacked. And, and wow. my view is, it's a matter of keeping that vision. And, and I hope that's part of what we do on this show. <laughs> that's very profound, Derek. I didn't know you came prepared with the poem. That's, that's, I need to look it up. And yes, I read that a long time back. And it's, it's profound. You're absolutely right that it's, you know, it's also inspiring that we need to at least stay on, on, on track. So great chatting, Derek. I think this was a great, I've personally enjoyed this. I enjoy every podcast, of course, but this was particularly important to me because we actually hit on important topics we just didn't report what we observed so that is yeah so thank you for Very that true time. i'm home next week nitin you're traveling is that right <laughs> i'm in new york i'm just domestic so i don't consider domestic travel as travel anymore if i'm just traveling to new york <laughs> chicago it's still us so it doesn't really matter but uh, yes i'll be in the in, in in new york this week and next week and then then off to singapore end of end of november i'll yeah. miss the singapore fintech festival but i'm i don't it's okay because this I don't miss crowds anymore. It's it's fine if I have good productive meetings. But but yeah, I'll I'll be dialing in from New York next week. Great. Look forward to hearing what happens in New York. Look after yourself. Likewise. Have a good week, and Take we'll care, see Derek. everyone Bye. on the on the other side next week. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.